This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Most every child can recite John 3.16, but I doubt if very many adults can tell the person to whom those words were spoken. Of course, they are words for all of us, the gospel in a nutshell, they've been called. But to whom was Jesus speaking when he said these words? For the answer, let's back up, go behind the story as we find it in the third chapter of John's gospel. Let's even go back to the last part of chapter two. Jesus had been in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. As people had been seeing this teacher from Galilee as he performed his wonderful miracles, there were many who believed in the sense that they were quite astonished. However, their belief was more of a wonder, a thrill from seeing this spectacular show than it was a commitment of a way of life to the person who was doing the miracles, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the scripture records, Jesus did not commit himself unto them. He needed something more something greater on their part before he could give himself to them. So now we come to chapter three, where we find the story of this night visitor whose name was Nicodemus. In the King James Version, the story begins, there was a man of the Pharisees. But several other translations begin this chapter with another word. Now there was a man, or but there was a man. What's the difference, you say? Well, have you ever heard a person downgrade the reputation of another? Seldom does the critic begin with a tirade of all the bad aspects of the other person's life. More often, it will begin like this. Uh, Well, so-and-so is a fine person in lots of ways, There are many good things about him or her, but, and then better look out, here it comes. That little word, that conjunction of three letters, B-U-T, but on the other hand, in contrast to what I've just said, here's the other side, and then the roof of condemnation caves in. Now, what's the difference, I asked a moment ago, in starting this third chapter with a different word? Here's the difference. Jesus had been speaking to some to whom he could not commit himself. But there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, here was a man to whom Jesus could commit himself. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan is a great preacher of bygone days. I was reading some time ago in a book that he had written, and he gave much insight into this conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus. I want to use his three points for this message. Dr. Morgan says that this whole conversation that night can be divided into three parts. First, face to face. That's verses two and three. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, you may remember, were the most numerous 
powerful and influential of all the religious groups of Jesus' day. They were strict legalists. They stood for the rigid observance of the letter of the law. They were quite the elite, the upper class. And generally, the Pharisees were a self-righteous, hypercritical group of people. Some say that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night in order to have Jesus all to himself in a conversation, to have an exclusive interview with this great teacher. I prefer to think that he was a bit ashamed to be seen by his fellow Pharisees, and thus he used the night to cloak his actions. Of course, there may be an element of truth in both of these ideas. Well, when they were talking, Nicodemus addressed Jesus as rabbi, a title of utmost respect. In verse 2, he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus here was just making a simple statement, sort of passing the time of day. But Jesus saw through his words, even down to the heart of this man's needs. Jesus cut out all the small talk, all the trivialities and pleasantries. He spoke directly to the soul of Nicodemus. The words of Jesus, which were spoken in response, did not seem to be connected at all to what Nicodemus had just said. Jesus said, Verily, verily, and you know that means truly, truly, absolutely. You can take what I'm about to say to the bank. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This statement by Jesus apparently had nothing at all to do with what Nicodemus had just said. That was face to face. And so this brings us to the second part of this amazing conversation. In verses 4 through 9, we see this scenario as mind to mind. Nicodemus was confused here. I imagine the words of Jesus must have caught him completely off guard. Listen to the response of, of Nicodemus. Verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He was not contradicting Jesus. He was simply asking how this born again process could work. Look, Rabbi, I'm an old man. I'm an elder Pharisee, he may have said. I am today what I've been becoming for years. Can this old body of mine be turned backward and allow me to become an embryo again? Once again, Jesus jumped beyond the limited bounds in which Nicodemus was thinking. Jesus said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Parenthetically, let me insert here that in our Bible study recently, we've been hearing Dave Stroll as he's been talking about situations which occur really throughout the book of John. Some are talking on a physical, earthly level, but Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level, higher than the other, and the two are not on the same level. That's a classic case right here with Jesus and Nicodemus. So Jesus might have said something in response like this, Nicodemus, 
you've lived and you've seen the earthly ministry of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, you've been baptized in water by him. And he told you that another one was coming who would baptize you in the spirit. You need both Nicodemus. You need what is symbolized in water baptism, that's repentance, but you also need a baptism of the spirit, regenerations. And then to clear up the fuzzy thinking of Nicodemus, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. No, Nicodemus, you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born. You're talking only about the flesh. I'm talking to you about the spirit. Nicodemus, don't get these two ideas mixed up. And then, as it seems to be all out of the clear blue yonder, Jesus said, Nicodemus, have you ever seen the wind? No. Where does it come from? Where does it go? I don't know. So it is with things of the Spirit, said Jesus. Then don't worry about it because you cannot understand completely with your mind, Nicodemus. Incidentally, the word in Greek for wind and the word for spirit are identically the same. Well, at this point, Nicodemus was completely lost. And he said, how can these things be? That's verse 9. And this brings us to the third part of this amazing conversation. In verses 10 through 16, we see them heart to heart. I think Jesus is somewhat humorous when he says, you mean you're a teacher and don't understand these things? Well, that's natural, I guess, Nicodemus. You couldn't understand unless you had a visit into heaven. And then Jesus got down to business and spoke in no uncertain terms, words that Nicodemus could well understand. He talked about Moses in the wilderness with that brass serpent. As the people were traveling out from Egyptian bondage toward the promised land, they rebelled against God and Moses and fiery serpents, snakes, were sent upon them. In his mercy, God told Moses to erect a brass serpent in the midst of all those people. And when they were bitten by these snakes, all they had to do was to look at this brass serpent and they'd be healed. Didn't have to go over and touch it. Didn't pray to it. All they had to do was to look at that serpent. That was God's plan. This serpent was a symbol of faith. As they had faith in God, they would be healed. Jesus said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Sort of like Moses lifted up that serpent. Jesus said that he had not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And here it is that we have given to us the wonderful verse, John 3, 16. Words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. So this is a story. And this is all of it, except for two more words, let me add in conclusion. The first, George Cornell, former religious news writer for the Associated Press, tells us what happened to Nicodemus. And Cornell bases what he writes here on John chapter 7 and John chapter 19, some verses from each of these two. These are George Cornell's words. 
About a year after his encounter with Jesus, wealthy old Nicodemus watched the clamorous mob surging through the street, shoving their victim along before them. He fingered his staff fretfully, clasping and unclasping it, and his lips moved without making any sound. He wanted to do something, but what could he do? The mob was taking Jesus to the place of crucifixion. No, Nicodemus could not stop it. But one thing he could do, he stood up, his frail old back straight and determined. He knew Jesus' friends had abandoned him in the heat of danger, but not all would forsake him, not Nicodemus, this rich, scholarly, old Pharisee, Jewish leader. Joseph had a tomb for Jesus, which he had prepared for himself. Nicodemus would bring a hundred pounds of aromatic myrrh and aloe juices, and he would anoint the body of Christ. And that's what he did. Together, Joseph and Nicodemus took down Jesus' body and carried it to the tomb. Nicodemus, the courageous old man, could do something after all. And the second word that I want to leave with you comes from Cindy Casper, who is writing in Our Daily Bread, a little booklet that we have here at Ocean Lakes, uh, free for those who want to have a daily devotional booklet. Cindy Casper writes these words. Jerry was a good man, the minister said at the memorial service. He loved his family. He was faithful to his wife. He served his country in the armed services. He was an excellent dad and grandfather. He was a great friend. But the minister went on to tell the friends and family who were gathered that Jerry's good life and his good deeds were not enough to assure him a place in heaven. And he said that Jerry himself would have been the first to tell them that. You see, Jerry believed the words from the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 23. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6:23. Jerry's final and eternal destination in life's journey, said the minister, was not determined by whether he lived a really good life, but entirely by Jesus dying in his place to pay sin's penalty. Jerry believed that each of us must personally accept the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. The minister concluded by saying, yes, Jerry was a good man, but he could never be good enough, and neither can we. It's only by grace that we can be saved through faith. And that has absolutely nothing to do with our human efforts. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. So my friends, this is the great message which Jesus gave to Nicodemus that night. And it is a message to us. This is the message. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed, 
by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Right. We are not saved by our good works, but by God's miraculous work in his son Jesus. Oh Lord, thank you so much for Jesus who paved the way so we can come to you. And when this life is over, we have the promise of a home in heaven, not because of anything we can do or have done, but because of Jesus' saving grace. Thank you, Lord. We pray in his wonderful name. Amen.